Welcome back, viewers. Thank you once again for listening and once again have another special player interview series. This time with an absolute legend of not just a player, but an absolute legend of a bloke, Scott Sattler. Scotty, once again, thank you for spending some time with us, uh, answering a few questions, having a bit of a chat today. How's things going for you? Yeah, going well, Joel. And um, no, it's a pleasure to be here, actually. It's, um, you know, life's good. Um, and I suppose, uh, yeah, living on the Gold Coast is always a, a pretty a pretty simple life living on the Gold Coast. Um, I, I once thought about moving back down to Sydney, but every time I go down there every Saturday to do radio, and I think every time I get off the plane and get into an Uber or a cow, I think, no, it's too busy for me down here. So I, uh, I like to uh, settle back on the Gold Coast where everything's a little bit easier. So, uh, and yeah, life's good. Uh, life's good. I can't complain. I'm, um, I'm healthy. I've got a great family and, um, yeah, things couldn't be better. Yeah, and let's not talk about the, the weather either. I know Sydney's freezing. Uh, up here, we, we complain when it's 20 degrees. It's it's fantastic. We say it's probably a bit chilly at the moment. But um, let's talk about some of the clubs here. I know a lot of people associate you with the Penrith Panthers, but there was quite a journey for you to get to the Penrith Panthers originally. And uh, there's a lot in your heart to do with where you're living at the moment on the Gold Coast. So we'll start with the Gold Coast Seagulls, where you made your debut against the Eels. Talk to us about the debut game and just that early part of your career with the Gold Coast Seagulls. Well, Joel, I went to the Gold. I went to a school on the Gold Coast called Coomabar High School, and there was only there's only about three or four years old the school, and I went there originally um, because I wanted to join the police force, but you had to be eighteen, and I was still yeah. sixteen when I finished year twelve, so I repeated year twelve at Coomabar on the Gold Coast, and I didn't go there to play rugby league. I went there just to do another year of school so I can be close enough to 18. So, and then all of a sudden we forged this, formed this really good rugby league team. We went through and we won the state finals and I was fortunate enough to make Queensland schoolboys and, and, um, and then from there, the local team, which is back then was the Gold Coast, well, it was the Gold Coast Giants back then. And then, which I was a scholarship holder with, uh, one of those junior scholarship contracts. And then, and then they became the Gold Coast Seagulls. And all I ever wanted to do, I never wanted to play for South Sydney, well, my dad's club, but um, but I always wanted to just play for the Gold Coast. So if, if I could have played five years with the Gold Coast and that was my career, I would have been really happy because I just I love the I love the area, I love the region. So, um, so in 1991, they had a team in the under 21s comp for the first time, where you played the whole season. Uh, at 1990, they, they did a trial. They played four games against Sydney teams, which I played in. And then 1991, a full season, which I played in. And then 92, um, we were coached by Grant Bell, the first coach of the North Queensland Cowboys. And in that team, there was myself, uh, Jamie Goddard, Kevin Campion, um, wow. Andrew Whittington, who played a lot of first grade with the Cowboys, um, Adrian Vowles who went on to play Origin as well. So we had this really good 1992 under-21 side. And, and yeah, we're all, what, 19 years of age. And and about halfway through the season, back then, Joel, I don't know whether you, you could you, you knew about this, so you seem a little bit probably too young to understand that on the one on the one day, there used to be the under-21s would play and then the oh, reserve yeah. grade would play, then first grade would play. And used so, to go all the time and my dad loved it. Bring it back, I the good part about it is, is a, a, a true fan could turn up for the under-21s. They could watch a young player start his career and they could watch his progression through reserve grade in the first grade. So back then, we played under-21s versus Parramatta. 
And Parramatta were a really good under-21 side back then and and then sat on the bench for second grade and got on and played a, about five or ten minutes of second grade, myself and Jamie Goddard. And then as we were about to get jump in the shower after second grade, the first grade manager walked up and said, do you guys want to sit on the bench with first grade? And we said, yeah, absolutely. I was just about to... I was just about to put my mouth into a pie. And he said, did you want to sit on the bench? So we just sat on the bench at first grade, not thinking we're going to get on. And so I'll, I'll never forget, it was after a try was scored. It was about 10 minutes to go. And after a try was scored, and Wally Lewis was the captain coach. And he was really good to us young players, Wally. He always gave us a go. He gave us time as well. He always encouraged us at training. He was a, he was a tremendous guy, he was, um, at the club, um, especially to the young guys. And, and anyway... Um, we um, were sitting there. I'll never forget he was walking back with the with the uh, one of the trainers and he looked across at the bench and he said, oh, I still remember he's, he mouthed the words. He said, give the two young fellas a go. <laughs> so the trainer came over and said, you two are on. And but Jamie Goddard and I looked at each other. We didn't know what to do. So we're standing on the sideline, nervous, and we we're winning, I think, by about 16 or 18 points at that stage. So we probably weren't going to get beaten. And so we ran on the field and all I remember was running across to a scrum and looking to my right and the great Brett Kenny was playing for Parramatta. And so I, um, I packed into the scrum and I, I thought all I want to do is get tackled by Brett Kenny. So <laughs> we won the scrum and I wrapped around the ruck and got the ball and ran into Brett Kenny. I thought, there you go, my debut. I got to play with the king. And get tackled by Brett Kenny, so I was uh, I was pretty happy after that. So um, yeah, and so myself and, and Jamie Goddard and Kevin Campion and Adrian Vowles all that year played our debuts, and so we we were on our way then. We we started young, and some of us had a few hiccups along the way, and and start had to restart again. Um, but yeah, that was that was our our first grade de- our, my first grade debut, and as I said, I only ever wanted to play. I never wanted to play for the Gold Coast. That was yeah. that was my hometown. I I was so proud to represent my hometown. Uh, but like the Gold Coast always has been, it was it's never been a a real safe environment when it comes to rugby league. No, yeah. Um, with, with the Gold Coast and, and playing your junior footing out there, I know at the moment it's quite a successful um, junior nursery competition. It's it's a really big one as well. Was it like that back in the early nineties as well? Uh, yeah, the, the the local competition. So I played Runaway Bay under 19s and um, before we we went and played with the Gold Coast. And back then, I think there was, I think there may have been 19 teams in the comp. So that that ranged from Bean Lee, yep. which is halfway to Brisbane, as you, as you would know, um, all the way up to Bow Desert. Wow. And then all the way down to Mullumbimby, which is, you know, another, another 25 minutes over the, you know, over the New South Wales border. So, yeah, a lot of teams really, really strong. And um, and we went through under-19s in 1990. We went through undefeated, our runaway Oof. base side. So um, it was a really, really strong competition and um, still strong today, really strong in the schoolboys now with your, yeah. you know, these sports excellence programs with Kiba and Palm Beach. And, uh, yeah, so Marymount College is another school that's trying to, trying to um, blend in with those schools. Uh, you know, the great Matty Guyer is a teacher there, so he's trying to run that program there as well. So, yeah, it's it's still pretty strong. You mentioned a couple of all-time greats earlier, the King, Wally, Brett Kenny. 
what was it like not just to play with the king on the field but just his aura around the club as well i know the gold coast there was sort of a newish club and we still find their feet to have that aura around the club would have been something special it was it was intimidating as well because he was the first real look into what superstardom was and what it meant by that is that um yeah while he was reading reading the news as well for channel 10 i think he was reading the news back then and he used to arrive at training in a helicopter on the oh, back field yeah so we go We'd all be you know, kicking the ball around before training. All of a sudden, they'd say, clear out, clear out. Helicopter's coming in. So we'd have to clear off the backfield. And the helicopter would, would come into seagulls and, and land. And he'd just jump off in his in his suit and stuff. And he'd go and uh, get changed. And um, and then we'd, we'd train. And then the helicopter would fly him back to Brisbane. And this is before he, he, mo- he moved to the Gold Coast. And, you know, and then he had a he had a sponsorship with a, with a car dealership. On, and then he'd turn up in these... These little sports cars, and I thought, yeah, this is this is the this is what superstardom's like. You know, it's uh, yeah, we'd go to Sydney, and yeah, our bus would pull up, and and there would be just dozens and dozens of fans waiting at the hotel, just wanting to get a photo or get an autograph with Wally. So you sort of, as a kid, you you sort of got off, and you just all took it in your stride. And then all of a sudden, you'd see what what he'd go through every day, and you'd go, well, this is. You know, this is what Hollywood's like. So he was intimidating, but he was really good to the young guys. I know the older guys, they they found it difficult at times to be on a level playing field with him because he was, you know, he was, had such a great aura, like you said. He was just such a big personality. And um, so a lot of the older guys sort of, I think maybe they were intimidated by him, whatever it may be. But us young guys, we sort of, because we'd grown up watching Wally in State of Origin, for us, it was he was our hero. So we, you know, we we... We just hung on every little word that he that he said. So, and as I said, he was really good to us young guys. Yeah, his yeah, his, his advice to us young guys like Champion and Goddard and, and Adrian Bowles and Coach was really really good, really simple, but it made sense. Yeah, look, if this is putting a pub quiz, I don't know many people who would be able to guess your next club after the Gold Coast Seagulls. And after 1992, 93, 94, seeing you go to the Eastern Suburbs. So, what happened there? Because I know Gold Coast so close to your heart. Um, where what happened with the whole going to the eastern suburbs? It was a decision made out of spite, to be honest. Um, I never wanted to go to Sydney because I basically I, I I didn't like the fast paced atmosphere of it all. Um, and so there was myself. Uh, another player actually played was Craig Weston, who was a really good young five eight. Who was yeah, he was, he was a, a super special sport uh, schooling Australian schoolboy, amazing player. And Gold Coast were grooming him to really take over from Wally as as, a, as an 18-year-old. So there's myself, Campo, uh, Goddard, Craig Weston uh, and myself. And we were negotiating with the club, but they kept signing all the older players, the players that were like 29 and 30. And we had all this group of 19, 20-year-olds, which you could have made part of your future. Mm. And they were sort of more focusing on the older guys, more sort of saying, well, what's going on? What, why aren't they focusing on the young guys? Like, this is the future. So basically, I played against the Roosters one night and had a really good game and I got a phone call the next morning from Mark Murray, the coach. Of... He, um, he just said, oh, we'd love to have a chat to you. So I had a chat to them and didn't take it seriously to be quite honest. I didn't have a manager back then. I was used to, my father just just spoke on my behalf, you know, and 
I thought, who else could, who else better could you have than your old man? You know, yeah. if he's going to negotiate, you know, he could half point intimidate people. So it's probably better than any manager you have. So, so they offered me a three year deal, and I went, wow, look, I'm 20, 21 years of age. How good is this? Um, I wasn't emotionally mature enough to move to Sydney. I've got to admit that. Um, but I thought, oh, the Gold Coast will come back. And so myself and Craig Weston, um, myself and Craig Weston, Adrian Vowles, he went to the Cowboys, the new Cowboys team, and myself and Craig Weston went to the Roosters. And we all thought, oh, it's just a matter of time before the Gold Coast come back and, and secure all the young players. And and they sort of just sat on their hands. And so we got to a stage where we had to do something. So we, we made a decision out of spite and... I didn't enjoy it. I didn't yeah. enjoy it at all. I, I didn't like Sydney um, at the time. Like I said, I wasn't emotionally mature enough for it. And anyway, I, I um, about six months, about probably five or six weeks into the season, playing against the Broncos one night, and I had a really good game against the Broncos. Both Craig and I had a really good game in a beaten side, and I thought, oh, it'd be good. You know, we'll play first grade next week. It's a big match, and it's a uh, and um, a grudge match, and and we didn't get named in the side. And I thought, oh, well, well that happens. And um, a little bit disappointed. And so I played second grade the following week and broke my jaw. So I was out for 12 weeks. And basically back then you didn't have the support that you have now. It's basically you just left to your own devices. And and um, and I just – I got homesick. And I asked for a release towards the end of the season into, you know, and they granted it. And I went back and played – for the South Queensland Crushers, which yeah. was exciting. It was a new team, 1995. I had an opportunity to go to the Cowboys to link up with my old coach, Grant Bell, from the Gold Coast. And um, I didn't do that. I went to the Crushers. And I'm not sure whether it was the right decision, but at the time it seemed like the right decision. But um, And everything was going okay, you know, playing a bit of first grade, a bit of second grade. And and then at the start of the season of 1996, we got, paid, we got told we weren't going to get paid. So... The Super wow. League ARL war. Yeah, it was the ARL Super League war. And, and because my dad was a staunch ARL man, I I said, oh, well, I'm just going to stay with the ARL. I had a meeting with Super League and I said, no, no I'm I'm going to stay with the ARL because my dad's a, a loyalist. And and uh, I was one of the <laughs> – I didn't get any money out of it. I, I got a voucher to Harvey, Harvey Norman or um, one of those – yeah, one of those furniture and I bought a fridge with it. So um, – <laughs> But um, but I I stayed with the Crushers, and then we got told at the start of 1996 year that yeah we weren't going to get paid. So um, I just bought my first house, and um, I was about to get married that year, and I thought, you know, this game's supposed to look after your rugby league if you if you yeah. try really hard. You know, if you train hard and look after yourself and look after the game, it, it usually looks after you. But I got really disillusioned, to be quite honest. And um, Jolly and um, a lot of people sort of gave up the game, to be honest. But I made a conscious decision during 96 that things weren't going that great. So if I'm going to give it, keep giving it a go, um, I've got to go back to where it started, peel all the layers back and go back and go back to where it started and start again. It's fortunate enough I was, I was still young enough as well. So, And that's when I went back to the Gold Coast Chargers. You, you mentioned the Gold Coast Charge. I was around that Super League craziness period as well. <laughs> Talk to us about that as a player. Like, getting, we all hear about all those little interviews that happened and money getting thrown around like crazy. 
that must have just been a whirlwind of a period to be involved with rugby league. Yeah, it was crazy. It's it sort of split up friend, not friendships, but um, allegiances at clubs for a short period, especially during 1995 going into 96, because they're hoping Super League would start in 1996 and it didn't. So if, in round one, if you were playing a Super League aligned club, which we were in round one, I think we were meant to play Canberra in 96, you had a buy, basically because um, of what the court decision was um, had been had been brought down. So, and then it went back to one competition again in 96. And um, yeah, there were players signing with, you were hearing about players that were playing on the bench in second grade, getting checks for $50,000 for signing and then getting 80 or $100,000 a year. You go, what? What's going on here? So really it was, it was first in best dressed. And because, because of my dad and his allegiance with you know, Ken Arthurson and co, I, I was always a guy that just was just happy to play. Yeah. I just wanted to play. It was, and it was never about really money. Money came with it, but um, yeah, it wasn't until I went to Penrith that you that you would be classed as paid paid handsomely. Um, yeah. But but leading up until then, I, I didn't really bother me. You know, the ARL Super League, who's going to give you the most money, didn't concern me at all. And I remember when I went back to the Gold Coast Chargers, Jeff Carr, who was involved in the ARL. You know, threw some money towards my contract to go back to the charges, which I was grateful for. But to be honest, I, it wouldn't have bothered me if I didn't, if I didn't get anything because I, I just didn't believe in the fight. I didn't believe yeah. in what Super League were trying to do, and I just thought, yeah, our game is great. And but moving forward, Super League was was perfect, exactly what the game needed. It needed to go to another level. But back then, as a player, when you, yeah, you know, you've been brought up in the game, like conceived in a dressing shed in Redfern and, and growing up in dressing sheds your whole life, you sort of just, you just love the game for what it is. And, um, yeah, it was never about money for me. Look, you get to Penrith Panthers and we may as well just fast forward and get straight to, to the tackle, uh, the, the world famous, um, I'll probably I'll argue people say some, one of the best tackles of all time. Talk us through that moment because you're on at the grand final for the Penrith Panthers Massive game, massive occasion, and you managed to come up with arguably the greatest uh, tackle that we've ever seen. Yeah, uh, first and foremost, Penrith, great club, great region, great community, just really, really good people. And um, in 2000, at the end of 2001, Roy Simmons was was terminated from his job. I had a really good relationship with Royce as a coach and player and still class him as a really close friend today. And uh, he was a... He was a really, really good coach. I, I rated him highly as a coach. He, um, he's very calculated about his coaching. If you trained hard, he really liked you. And he's a really hard taskmaster. And maybe that was that brought his downfall in the end. Um, I think a lot of players were thinking that we were sort of not moving with the times when it came to sports science, whatever it may be. And unfortunately, he lost his job. And then John Lane came in from Cronulla and... and an interesting story about John Lang. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that really soon. Um, yeah. Which the connection that I had with John Lang that I didn't realise that I had, and John Lang had never told me about it. My dad had never told me about it. But anyway, John Lang comes to the club and um, very simple coach in relation to his methodologies and really basic coaching, which which everyone sort of really loved. And but my very first training session with with Langy, he said to me, oh, "I want you to play an old fashioned locks." game he said so you know do all these different things that i want you to do that a lock does um and but 
if the ball is on the other side of the field on the fifth tackle and there's going to be a kick put in, I just and if you're if you're on the opposite side of the field where the ball is, he said, I just want you to start heading in behind the defensive line just in case you need it. He used to always say, just in case you need it. <laughs> and so on that night, I saw Gerds come from the left-hand side where I was and he sort of ran behind me on about tackle four and then it was tackle five. And he ran down the right-hand side, which, you know, generally he wasn't, he wasn't normally on that side. And he just put a, tried to put a grubber in and it, it come off the feet of Luke Rickardson. And just as he was about to kick it, I just sort of, well, Langy told me. And so I just started heading him behind. And um, it's a little bit like Daly Cherry Evans in the, in the state of origin, you know, yeah. as soon as he saw Cameron Munster, if you go and look at the footage again, as soon as he, he sees Cameron Munster go down that left-hand side and he's going to put a grub, Daly just sort of starts taking off just in case. Yeah. So he gets a bit of a head start. And and that's that's exactly what I did because my coach told me to do it. And, and Ricochet and Freddie gives this pass out to Toddy. And there's a beautiful pass in the wet conditions from Freddie at, straight out in front. And Toddy didn't have to sort of deviate his run at all. And, and Luke Lewis, to his credit, got a, he sort of half point checked him on the on the way, and because it was a, a wet night, I was able to you, know, you head towards the corner post, and I was always taught as a young kid just head towards the corner post and and try and keep the player sort of on the edge of your eyesight. If the player's in full view of your eyesight, you're not going to get him. But head towards the the uh, the corner post and. If you see the player just sort of edging into the corner of your of your eyesight, you've still got him in your periphery. And fortunately enough for me, that's what happened with Toddy. As I started to head towards the corner post, so I got to the I got to that mark before he did. If that makes sense, yeah. And it allowed me to sort of pull up a little bit. And as he came into the picture, that was when I was able to make really good contact on him. And being a wet night, we were always going to slide into touch. Um, and Although Daly was pretty lazy, actually, not throwing uh, Steve Crichton in a touch, but... Um, <laughs> Changing between lanes are harsh. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but uh, in saying that, um, and, yeah, if it was a dry night, he would have burnt me. It was just, yeah, all the planets aligned that night for for us at the Panthers. You know, we even though we were the minor premiers, we went in as massive underdogs and, you know, we just had to withstand that first sort of 20, 25 minutes where we knew they were going to come in and just try and just knock down our front door and fortunately for us we we withstood it and, and then we came over the top of them but yeah you know, in relation to that moment it was Johnny Lang prepared me for that moment from the very first time I had a meeting with him when he arrived at the end of 2001 in the in the pre-season so um you know I, I did that every training session every game for two years and then my last game for Penrith it was the really one of the only times it was required the stars aligned. In that moment, do you sort of just black out and it's just you and Todd, um, you're chasing him, or can you hear the crowd? Can you hear him erupt once it's made? Can you hear your players cheer and celebrating? You can't hear the crowd, funnily enough. You know, there's 83,000 people and you can't really hear the crowd. It's it's um, it's really silent. I found it was really, really silent. Yeah. And everything seemed like it was in slow motion. And um, and then I could – but the one thing I could hear, funnily enough, I could I could hear Reese Wesser behind me, and my nickname was Scooter at at Penrith, and all I could remember was was Reese saying, "I got your inside, Scooter. I got your inside." So I thought, oh, if Toddy stepped back in, Reese would be there. Yeah. And then, obviously, when we hit the ground, and I and in the in the footage, I sort of roll back and look back towards my teammates, 
and as soon as that happened, that's when you can hear the yahooing. And I remember Tony Pulitua. Tony Pulitua, if you look at that footage, there's an angle that's up the touchline, straight up the touchline from behind the try line. And you can see Tony Pulitua like hovering over the top of Toddy Byrne, sort of sledging him in the moment. <laughs> Everyone's full of adrenaline. And, and all I could remember was Tony Pulitua like hovering over the top of him, yahooing and, and sledging him. And, um, and then you could hear the crowd, yeah. But for that... Yeah, for that four or five seconds, it, it was really just stony silence. It's it's an eerie feeling, to be quite honest. Yeah, I could definitely imagine that for sure. Uh, look, I'll put you on the spot here. Your 2003 team was off the chain. When you go back and look at the lineup, uh, the players, the form that they were all in, it was absolutely freakish team. Well, I want to compare – I want one – game it's 2003 penalty team versus the 2001 uh, 2000, yeah, 2021 2022 sort of combined team it's, there was a few little changes but overall it's the same sort of squad for both of those for Penrith who comes out on top oh, it's, it's a I've, I get I've got been asked this question a couple of times and of course I'm always going to say I reckon we win yeah um, I think it goes down to golden point yeah and then it comes down who's the best sharpshooter so yeah, you'd think Cleary would win that. But then that year, Gower knocked over a couple of really crucial field goals. One against the Brisbane Broncos midway through the year. We won 13-6. I think he kicked it from about 42 metres out. And it hit a bloke in about the fourth row of the Northern <laughs> Grandstand at Suncourt. Um, I reckon he goes down to Golden Point. Now, many would say that the current Penrith side or the back-to-back Premier side, yeah, they've been together for a long time. They know each, how each other play well. So did ours as well. You know, the, the likes of Rooney, Lewis, um, Rodney, Swain, uh, it's Waterhouse, they all play together. They've all played yeah. junior reps together. So it's much – and when you weigh up the players as well, Joel, you go, well, I think Reese Walsh – I think Reese Wessard gets it over the top of Dylan Edwards. You know, that year, I think he scored 25 or 26 tries. He, like he was just – he was next level for about three yeah. years there, Reese. Uh, the two wingers, when you got Toto and and um, who was there? There's May or there's uh, Charlie Staines. Who was the other winger that was there? Um, oh, you've got in the good uh, in the grand final side. There was um, yeah, you got you well, got Crichton on in centres. You got May, yeah, Tango, yeah, so, Tago. Yeah, I, I, I think I think Luke Lewis and and Brian Toto. If you weigh them up against each other, there's two completely different players. But you know, Luke Lewis is a superstar. Absolute superstar, and, and so yeah. is Toto. But and Luke Rooney and Tyrrell, I think Luke Rooney wins that battle. And then you've got Girdler on on Stephen Crichton. Wow, yes, yeah, right. It's I'd love to see, I'd, I'd pay, I'd pay money to go and see that battle because yeah. Girdler was Girdler was just he could have played in any in any era. And then you you look at Preston and Jerome Luai, they play they're very much the same sort of player. Um, yeah, Preston's probably a little bit more consistent. Um, then you got Gow versus Cleary. You know, two very they play the same as well. Yeah, you know, they're they're good defenders. They're low to the ground. They're powerful. They're super fit. So you know, and then when they when they won that comp, they had Tony Pultu up against Viliami Kikau. You got Appy Karoisau up against Luke Prittis. Yeah. and you've got um, James Fisher Harris up against Martin Lang. It's so, ridiculous. You know, it's when you weigh it up, there's, there's not much between both sides. So I reckon it goes to Golden Point. And I think um, 
I think Girdler scores a late try or Gow kicks a field goal. Oh, and it's a big game. So we all know Crichton will get one of his token intercepts in the big game. But I've got no doubt you're there in cover defence. You're getting him, sliding him out into the sideline this time. So Well, you talk about <laughs> intercepts. Girdler was the intercept king. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They can have one each. Um, the last year of your career, saw you move to the West Tigers. Uh, and in this, you're actually named captain of the club. Um, I often wonder, because you hear in the media, a lot of times they bag clubs if they put new players as captain, things like that. For you, how, how did that feel, that period where you're new at the club and straight away you're thrown into the leadership role of an organisation? Uh, apprehensive at first. Um, the reason why I went to the Tigers is I was promised halfway through the year if I was going okay at Penrith, I'd get another two years. I was 31, but I was I really looked after myself fitness-wise. And and when I made Origin in 2003, um, they didn't, they didn't come with a contract and that really disappointed me. I, th- I thought that at the time they went back on their word. Um, but then I understood later on in life, they had a lot of younger players they had to upgrade yeah. your Waterhouses and your Lewises and Roonies. And I didn't understand that at the time. I did later on when I understood the salary cap. So when I was, you know, I was forced to go to another club and, and I signed with the West Tigers before the season had finished. And the reason why I went there is one Roy Simmons was there and I always enjoyed his coaching. He was the assistant coach. I, and I just admired Tim Sheens ever since I was a teenager when he when he coached those Raiders teams. So I wanted to be coached by Tim Sheens. Yeah. So going there was a really easy decision. Um, Tim called me in and I went there with confidence. So when you say, how are you feeling about getting asked to be captain? I went in there with confidence because we just won a comp. So um, we did the World Sevens. That was yeah. the last World Sevens that year, and I was captain of that, and we won that. We beat Parramatta uh, in the grand final. We were the last World Sevens champions. And and so he called me in, into the office after the World Sevens, and he said, I want you to captain the club. And I said, I, I'm not comfortable with that because yeah. I haven't been at the club long, and there's been a lot of players here that have been at the club their whole careers, like Darren Centre was there for a majority of his career. Uh, Mark O'Neill was there. His whole he'd been there his whole career. I said, I, I, he said, and he he basically said to me, he said, oh, the Tigers have they're coming from well back in the field. You know, they've never made the finals. We need a change. So yeah. I decided, I decided that um, I wouldn't do it initially. I'll be the club captain where I'll do all the media, I'll do all that, help all the young players. But when we run out on the field. I won't be the captain of the team if that makes sense. That needs to be someone that's been involved with the club for a while. So Darren Sander started the club, and in the second game, he broke his arm. So I just took over the captaincy after that and and really enjoyed it, really, really yeah. enjoyed it. And we're travelling really well there for a large portion of the season. Um, they made some good signings that year. There was Paddy Richards, um, Brett Hodgson, Scott Prince, um, Toddy Payton from the Roosters as well, Benny Reynolds, who was a young half from Penrith as well. Uh, Jason Moody, the winger from Parramatta. Yeah, yeah. So it was really good signings, and we're going really well throughout the year. And then we've got a heap of injuries, and we had to win one of the last three games, and we didn't win one of those games. We were beaten by the Cowboys, Broncos, and Newcastle, and we missed out. We came ninth. We missed out in the finals. And oh. Then I still had another year to go on the contract, and um, and about six weeks to go before the end of the season, I was – I was running back in defence against Melbourne one night, and my knee locked up. I had a, I didn't have a, I had a knee that was just sort of 
starting to get on its, on its last leg. And um, it's, it locked up one day during the game and it kept locking up at training. And I went out to the word to Tim Sheens and Stephen Noyce, the CEO, and I, I said, listen, I won't get through another preseason. I just won't do it. I won't be able to do it. I'll, I'll be stealing your money if I if yeah. I did. So we made the decision. I made the decision I was going to retire at the end of the year and had a really good year. I had a, I was actually really – it was one of my better years in 2004. It was a really enjoyable year and I loved being captain. And so 2004 and then December 2004, I'd moved back to the Gold Coast and I retired and I got a phone call from Tim saying, can you come back? I went, oh, mate, I, I don't know about my knee. You know, he said – he said, mate, I'd love you to be able to come back. And I said, mate, I'm happy with my decision. And my knee still wasn't great. It was still sort of swelling up after I did. And usually it's two days later. I'll give you a call after two days. He goes, okay. So I went for a run. And then um, two days later, it blew up again. And I couldn't walk. And then I rang him back. I said, no, nah, my knee's blowing up. I he said, doesn't matter. You just just do the captain session. Just do the captain session. Day before the game, we'll get you through the week. I said, no, nah, I, 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 it, it, it wouldn't be a good look for the club and the young players. So 2005, they go and win the comp. So, um, And then at the end of uh, Mad Monday, they were on Mad Monday after winning the comp, the West Tigers, um, in 2005. And Tim Sheens' name came up on my phone. It was 6.15 in the morning. <laughs> And he, I answered, I said, oh, congratulations, coach. You know, well done. He goes, he said, some of the decisions we make are sometimes not the right ones, are they? I went, oh. <laughs> he, rang, he rang up to rub it in. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, you mentioned the, the Queensland Maroons and obviously we've just seen another series where that Queensland spirit's really shunned through and as a New South Wales supporter, that really pains me to say, but I think we've seen it now more than ever, just how much that spirit um, is, how strong it is and how frequent it is there for, for you guys when you pull on that Maroons jersey. How did it feel for you uh, to pull that, or finally get that jersey uh, in 2003 and, and to be on that field wearing that Maroons jersey? Well, it was a dream come true. I'm just going to let my dog out, is what I think. Nah, that's all right. Um, it was a dream come true. It was, um, I was 31, so... You know, as Queenslanders, you sort of you get you, you never think you're too old because we've never had that many players to pick from, you know, in, yeah. in history. And I came through an era where I was always up against Gordy Tallis, um, Tony Carroll, Brad Thorne, those sort of players when it came to Origin. And um, you know, I'd, I'd been told through '99 and 2000 and 2001 that I was I was. You know, I was, I was a bee's dick away from from making it. And, you know, it's just unfortunate that I was up against a lot of these, you know, these superstars in the back row. And, um, yeah, so, you know, a lot of the Broncos players really dominated those origin sides in those late 90s and early 2000s. You know, they'd played in grand finals. They'd won comps. And and you could understand why. And so when I finally got when I finally got the jersey, I got a phone call from my, my best mate, Clinton O'Brien, who'd played origin in 97, 98, and then won a comp with Newcastle in 2001. And he rang me and said, oh, congratulations. I said, what for? He said, oh, you're in the origin side. I said, what, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, they just named it. You've been named. So then I got a phone call from the QRL saying, you know, you've got to be on a plane tomorrow morning. I went, I'd love to. I'll get to the airport tonight. I'll sleep there. And um, 
great experience. Wayne was the coach. I expected to go in there and learn this whole new way to play rugby league under Wayne Bennett. And then you realise that actually he's the most simplistic coach you'd ever come across. Um, doesn't have any sort of huge game plans or anything like that. It's just about, it's all about effort and discipline and being really good defensively. And um, I was room with Petro Sivanaseva, who was just the nicest man in the world. And um, I remember sitting on the end of the bed after about day two and I said, when do we start looking into the opposition? When do we start breaking down the, the other side? And he said, no, we don't. There's no game plan. He said, just don't miss a tackle. Be disciplined. Be really aggressive and energetic. Be there for your mate. And when Lockie wants the ball, give it to him. That was it. So um, there's a great 10 days. Best 10 days of your life. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you, we're glad that cameras aren't around these days. Some of the things you get up to on the, you know, when you're having a beer in those first two yeah. or three days and you're, you're learning you know, who the characters are of the side. And, you know, Sean Berrigan, you know, he's like the rat bag of the side. And, um, you know, the Gordy Tallis is the loudest one of the side. And, uh, Benny Still Eichen, is. <laughs> yeah, and Benny Eichen was always up the front of the bus on the microphone, which, yeah, then led to a, a you know a career in the media as well. So, um, and yeah, Wayne. A lot of people see Wayne Bennett. They see this real serious guy that doesn't talk to the media, but behind closed doors, he lives vicariously through his through his players. You know, because he, yeah. you know, he doesn't drink. Um, he's never drank. He's never smoked. He's never really partied or anything like that. So, yeah, you always be at the back of the bus listening to the stories. What happened last night? Who, you know, who did what? And, and as um. You know, Gordy and, and Tony Carroll, you know, continuously sledging Wayne and Wayne, Wayne trying to sledge them back. And it was uh, – and, yeah, he makes some really good friends out of it as well. The, the game itself is the it's, – it's, it's just – it's a blur, to be honest. Yeah. I, I remember running out onto Homebush Stadium first because you're the away side. And then New South Wales ran on and I'd never felt – the inside of my body shake like it had, like the bones inside your body are shaking because of wow. the noise of the crowd, 85,000. It was just grand finals a different night because you're sharing the crowd with rugby league fans and, and the opposition. And with state of origin, it's basically just 95% one state. So I remember standing there waiting for New South Wales to run out and then they ran out and I just felt my body shake. It was I'd never felt, I'd never felt, and still to this day, I've never felt a feeling like it. Yeah. Um, to the point where you actually feel a little bit concerned about what's going on. Like it's you lose your bearings of all your surroundings, and now I sort of see what it, what it means when you, yeah, Queensland are behind at Suncorp Stadium, and they say the crowd gets you home in those state of origin matches because I could. That's what New South Wales would feel like when the crowd starts to make it feel like a coliseum. So. Yeah, it was a great experience. Um, yeah, you, you, you get a little bit filthy. You didn't get to experience it a little bit more, actually, throughout your career. And you get really envious of the guys that end up playing, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 origins. Um, yeah. They get to experience the, the camp every year because it's it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I want to ask one final question on the playing career. Then I want to hopefully get into a quick couple of uh, post-season questions. And I'm taking a bit of your time. The last one here, and this is a, for a personal one. I can re relate to this with my, my dad, my old man, and then my pop as well. He played for Parramatta. And when my dad was growing up playing junior footy and that, he was always referred to. Uh, pop was always referred to saying how good he was, things like that. And he ended up moving to soccer, my dad, because he said the noise sort of got a bit too much. And 
Pop was always supportive of his decision. He said, if that's what you want to play, go play it. I don't need you to play footy if you don't want to do it. How was it for you? Obviously, in the footsteps of an all-time great of the game and immortal. Um, and then was there any, the second part of the question, was South Sydney ever an option for you to play at? Uh, first part, it was pretty easy, actually. My old man, he was a, he was a, tough, he was a tough dad, um, very loving dad, but very tough when it came to anything he had to put an effort into. If you didn't put an effort into something, he'd be really disappointed you, and that was just in life. And um, going through those teenage years, I didn't start playing rugby league until I was about 12, and then those sort of 13, 14, 15, 16-year age, it was pretty difficult because all the parents put so much pressure on you. The kids didn't care. They, they didn't know. Yeah. Um, but then when you got into grade, when you're playing lower grades, like under-21s and reserve grade, you know, a lot of expectation from, you know, from other coaches, uh, media, whatever it may be. But when you make first grade, I don't think anyone cares, to be honest. You know, you, you always get referred to the son of and, that doesn't yeah. bother me in the slightest. You know, I, I wear it as a badge of honour, to be quite yeah. honest. And um, and my, if I did, if I had a shit game one night and the old man would ring me, if he'd say to me, if he didn't say anything about the game at all, he, you knew that he was disappointed in your game. Yeah. Or he'd say something like, didn't go too well for you last night, did it? Which means <laughs> there are some things in that game that he didn't he didn't think were, uh, were that crash shot. So, yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was pretty easy, actually. He was... He's always a, a really, a really good wealth of knowledge. He's a wealth of knowledge to go to and ask about the game, and and you'd be silly not to utilise that. And I did during my career. You know, I, I utilised it a fair bit. Um, he, I remember he always said to me when I first started looking like I was going to get graded as like an 18, 19 year old. He just said to me, "Listen, you're never going to be a John Raper or a Ron Coote because I was playing." back row by that stage. I started out as a hooker in my juniors and I went into the back row. He said, you're never going to be a John Raper or a Ron Coote. He said, but just train harder than everyone else. Don't let anyone outwork you. And so I, I sort of, I took on that for pretty much, I reckon, probably 10 years of the 13 years that I played. There was a couple of years there where I dropped off a little bit from a coach and from a training perspective, um, which is my own fault. And, but, yeah, no, he was always very supportive. And like I said, I used to wear it as a badge of honour. And the second part of the question, yeah, there was two opportunities to play for South. The first time was um, when I looked like leaving the the Gold Coast Chargers. I was talking to Penrith, Manly and South. And I said to Dad, I'm never going to go to South because that's your club and we wear the same jersey and I'm not going to... I'm going to tarnish your reputation there if I get injured or play crap footy or whatever it may be. And it was the best decision because they got kicked out of the comp a couple of years later. Um, and then he said, well, who's it out of? I said, Manly or Penrith. He said, if you play for Manly, I'll never watch you play rugby league ever again. So <laughs> I um, second that. <laughs> yeah. And then when I was about to leave, when I was going to leave Penrith, I was talking to um, uh, Bradford Bulls in England. And I was talking to South and the West Tigers. And then, I wasn't ready to go to the UK because I had a young family and I didn't want to go to South for the same reason. That's why it made it pretty easy to to, to go where Tim Sheens and Roy Simmons were. Yeah. Oh, now, let's get away from the footy boots. You put up the suit and tie on and 2006 became the football manager of the Gold Coast Titans. Talk to us about what actually is involved with that title and I imagine you're, you've got to be on the phone 24-7, really. Well, I was going to join the police force when I retired. 
uh, or the army, to be quite honest. It's still a regret that I, that I, I never served. I would have loved to have joined the armed forces. And um, But in saying that, I uh, just as I was about to retire, John Cartwright, Michael Searle, who was then the owner of the Gold Coast Titans, and, um, and he contacted me when I, when I told him I was going to retire because he was my manager at the time. He said, listen, I'm putting together this Gold Coast NRL bid he said, would you – and he said, "Who?" He, I started talking to him about potential coaches, guys that I'd come across in the game. Yeah. And John Cartwright was going to be the coach. And I had a link with John Cartwright from the Penrith Panthers. He was, the, he was a second-grade coach there and under-20s coach there for a while. So I got to know him pretty well. And um, and being a former legend of the club, yeah, I made a point of getting to know him. And so when he got the job, he rang me and said, would you like to be my strength and – so this – only a week after I retired, I was working in the office of the NRL bid team on the Gold Coast because I'd moved straight back. And John Cartwright said to me, do you want to be my strength and conditioner if we get the licence? I said, I'd love to. And so put everything else a little bit on hold, like joining the army or the police force. And and then as I, as I was helping out with the NRL bid team, I was doing a lot of stuff on junior development junior recruitment we were signing players around the gold coast brisbane and northern rivers areas just in case we got the license and i said to the, the then michael searle and john carter i said listen i'm really enjoying the operations side of it so he said okay if you can get me a a really good conditioner if we get the license you can do the general manager of rugby league role i said love to so we get the license in may 2005 and then i went to billy johnston who I'd known from the Gold Coast Giants playing days and the Gold Coast Seagulls, where he was the conditioner. He was the hardest conditioner in the NRL at that stage. He was at the now North Queensland Cowboys. And I, I was able to convince him to be the first strength and conditioner for the Gold Coast Titans. And so he came down from Townsville and I just assumed the general manager role. So the, the role was essentially when you're starting a startup club is um, you've got to set up the entire department, the rugby league department. That means... Uh, your facilities, all your resources, um, and your staffing from your head coach to your assistant coaches to your your pathway coaches to um, all your junior development programs, um, your pathway programs, uh, all your scouts as well around wow. the country in New Zealand, um, oversee or assist in the salary cap as well, the first grade and the and the junior salary cap. And also do all the senior recruitment as well, along with the coach and the CEO. So basically, it was from from scratch, setting up everything from um, from way to go. And not much yeah, sleep so, back then. <laughs> no, nah, not a lot of sleep at all. Uh, really enjoyable, but you know, you know, when you're doing something and basically the hours just get away from you. It's yeah. it's like you if you're talking to you're doing your what you're doing now. You love doing your podcast. You love talking rugby league, and all of a sudden you look at the time and you go. There's an hour and a half gone. I didn't even realise it. So yeah. it's a little bit like that, and it was really it was really beneficial putting a team together, and and we were really we were, we were very precise in who we recruited in that, those first years. Uh, one, they we wanted them to be family men that they had a child, so yeah. they got another responsibility. They're not so selfish, and the other one was what was their work ethic and training ethic like from the feedback. So that was another part of the job. Yeah, you had to do a lot of um 
a lot of connecting with people in the game and doing a lot of research and due diligence on players and seeing yeah. how they're accepted by their teammates. Are they family men? Do they make the right decisions? Are they good trainers first and foremost? And and that's how we were able to put the, together the likes of you know, Luke Bailey and Scott Prince and Preston Campbell and mm. Anthony LaFranchi and Matt Rogers. And, yeah, it was a, it was a really did you play? Game. Did you play quite a part in getting Presto there then? Obviously because you played with him at Penrith and had that Presto relationship. Was a- well, I, I had a really good relationship with Scott Prince from the West Tigers. We got on really, yeah. we travelled to, to training together. So the first two people that I called were Preston and Scott Prince. Yep. And Preston said, I can't believe it took you this long to call me because <laughs> he always wanted to get back to the Gold Coast where he played his Similar to you. And, um, and Princey, who I knew really well, he was dying to get back to Queensland. And he was still under contract with the with the Tigers, and they allowed him to negotiate with the Queensland teams only. And um, but we already had him; we we had him tied up pretty early, and um, and that was really a catalyst to putting together a really good squad. One final one on this: you're part of another bid, uh, the Brisbane Jets bid. What sort of um, part did you play in that? Obviously, that's a recent one where the Dolphins did win that bid, but. Just take us inside the four walls, if you can, a little bit about how the whole bid process does work. Well, first and foremost, the NRL have to put out sort of like a tender to see to say, yeah, we are going to expand the competition. Um, the main major uh, brain child behind the behind the Brisbane Jets was Steve Johnson, who was the chairman of the Ipswich Jets, and also Nick Livermore, who's a, a really good entrepreneur out of Brisbane. His, his father, Ross Livermore, was the boss of the Queensland Rugby League for many, many years through the 70s and 80s and, and 90s. So um, he asked me to come on board because I'd been involved previously. And what what goes about a bit is, first, financially, you have to make sure you've got the backers and you've got to, have to make sure you have capital or anywhere upwards of around sort of 15 to $20 million, just to, I think, just to get you in the front door. Um, and then you've got to start putting together programs like uh, what are your junior development programs, your pathway programs like, what's your fan engagement like, what's your membership programs like, um, how are you going to entice fans to follow your club if, if they follow other clubs, um, where's your home ground going to be, what are your what's your uh, facilities going to be like from a high performance point of view, so putting all that together um, from start to finish and then delivering that to the NRL uh, I still think the NRL got it wrong. Um, yep. We went in knowing that the Dolphins were going to get it. We, I think, both us and the and the Firehawks were, were of the understanding that um, that the Dolphins were probably the least threat to the Brisbane Broncos from a fan and membership perspective. Yep. So we always probably we both probably knew that the Dolphins are always going to be in a box seat from a um, from a stakeholders' point of view in the NRL. So. But we went in swinging, and um, yeah. both us and the Firehawks, and um, I still think that the NRL got it wrong because yeah. the the numbers in the Western Corridor all the way up through Toowoomba and the Darling Downs Massive. is just it's phenomenal the numbers, and and with the Brisbane Lions setting up their their training base out there, especially with the AFL uh, the AFL women's competition as well. They know. I feel as though that probably the NRL has opened the gate for them out there, so it's not too late, but it's it's a decision whether the NRL want to go out there or not, I think. Were the Jets was it true that the Jets and Firehawks Hawks were happy to work together to, to win the bid at the at the late stages? Yeah, so when when all three bids met on the morning um, at the QRL offices with the NRL, the ARLC, 
Um, I, I was driving back down the Gold Coast and Shane Richardson rang me, who was the head of the Firehawks, and said, um, "What would you? how would you think about joining both our bids? And I think it would – well, we both accepted that it was a – I think it was a positive way forward for the game. Yeah. You could have a – you could have a position in the CBD. So you've got like a cross-city rivalry with the Brisbane Broncos, which everyone loves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you've got that Western Corridor that's that's also being attended to from a development point of view as well. So I thought it would have been the perfect scenario for the NRL and the ARLC, but they they thought otherwise. I, I, I always thought their decision was always made, but you, yeah. like anything, you've got to go in swinging and see how you go. Just a quick one, the final one to end this one. Do you feel like there's a chance we could see a fifth uh, Queensland team? Is there room in the game for that? Yeah, there definitely is. I, I know the big push is for the Pacifica, which yeah. um, I used to be a fan of, but I don't. I don't think. I don't think if you base it out of Cairns, for example, you're taking away from the backyard of the Cowboys. I know there's a big push for the Western Australia because of the the broadcasting times makes sense. Um, I'm just not quite sure with a collision sport like ours that that injuries would play a huge role in in mm-hmm. the depth of the team in the West with the amount of travel that you got to do. I know the AFL do it, but the AFL isn't as isn't much as, as a, of a collision sport as what ours is. Um, I do believe I do believe the the most obvious one would be Ipswich slash Toowoomba. Yeah, yeah, just from yeah. a population point of view, purely a population point of view. I think the two. Uh, two ones that would make sense from a from a population point of view would be the Western Corridor and probably WA. You've won me over. So, uh, look, last couple of uh, rapid-fire questions I'd like to end these interviews with four questions. I've got first one's the most enjoyable player you've ever played with. Tony Paul Tua. Yep. Um, just on his day, he's destructive, but off the field, one of the most enjoyable human beings to be around. One of the hair bears as well. Yeah. <laughs> My, the most talented player you've played with, and I'll tell you what, yeah, uh, names you've mentioned, you've played with a number. Most talented, uh, probably Preston Campbell. Based what he's great at multi sports, he was tiny in size, huge heart, and I never let anyone ever get over the top of him. So overall talent, I'd have to say, yeah, I'd have to say him. There's a kid I played with at school, but I know Robbie Hollingsworth is the best player I ever saw. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Most enjoyable player you've played with, and you can have this for either on or off the field, or maybe one for each. Uh, most enjoyable player off the field, um, I'd say Tony Pultu again, or um, Jamie Goddard. <laughs> he's as loyal as they come, Jamie Goddard. He's funny, he's ruthless, he's dangerous, um, but he's really loyal as well. Funniest player you've played with? Funniest player... Uh, this is getting a little bit boring. Tony Paul Tour. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the funniest guy. He's the funniest guy that I think both he and um, Craig Gow. Craig Gow's a really funny guy. He's a Craig Gow's a, a different sort of humor. It's like a it's a real sort of dark black humor. Yeah. How about MG? Was he? He's a, a very dry. MG's humor. another one. MG's a yeah. real character, a real comic, and just. Yeah, he's a mad kleptomaniac. He used to steal your clothes at training, all that sort of stuff. But you just you just laughed at him because it was MG. You just you just sort of accepted it because he was just such a funny guy. But um, yeah, him, Tony Paul Tour and Gao were, were were really really funny guys. 
Well, Scotty, we're, we're going to wrap this up. Just finally, where can people find you? I know you've got um, yourself a business or two and you've also uh, SEN Radio. Uh, where can we catch you if there are people want to listen to you? So, yeah, work for SEN and the Super Radio Network as well. Um, pick up our show. So it's uh, Sats and Rats. So myself and Matty Rogers. It used to be Gary yeah. Belcher. He's retired now. So we're on SEN and the Super Radio Network um, every night from 6 till 8 o'clock to our show. Uh, we also call the footy as well, SEN League each weekend. Um, and uh, and also on the SEN app as well, all the sports day yeah. shows are on there. So, And I know you, when you reached out, you said you listened to the show and, yeah, much appreciated. Yeah, yeah on the podcast as well. So the shows are always put up on that. That's the main way I, I listen to them all. Quickly, I've got to ask you, who's going to win the comp this year? Oh, I can't see – at the moment, I can't see anyone beating Penrith. They're too good defensively. Um, but if there is a team that can beat them, uh, I think the Melbourne Storm can on their day. And I think even though South Sydney is sitting eighth, yeah. they'll have two more buys and they'll be up. If they get in the top four, I think South on their day, we're going to be pretty difficult to beat as well. Yeah. Look, this is credit to you, how good of a bloke you are. I asked for 40, 45 minutes of your time. We're going well over that. So I'll let you go on your day off. Really appreciate the time, Scotty. Enjoy uh, your day off. Please have a relaxing beer or so. You got some footy to call over the weekend? Um, got the game to call tonight, which is the Warriors and the Bunnies. Cracking game. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a cracker. Mm-hmm. All right. Perfect. Thank you, mate. Thanks for joining League of Inches. Uh, we'll hopefully, have a chat to you in the future. Love to. Catch you later.